Penn State football reaching a critical stage on the way to the second half of the season. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. With me today is Nate Bauer. He is our senior editor at Blue White Illustrated. And yesterday, we had the opportunity to go to practice and check out what was there. And we had a bit of a surprise in the form of number 14 for Penn State. Sean Clifford practicing with his team for all the media to see. And Nate was there with me. So, Nate... Uh, where do you want to start in that particular conversation? Because obviously we're going to start with Sean Clifford. What stood out to you when you watched uh, Clifford throwing the football? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I'm more interested in hearing your thoughts uh, than than mine. Um, it looked it looked right to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't know how else to put it. He he looked like Sean Clifford. I mean, he was uh, the passes were crisp. He, he seemed to move well, um, you know, and you saw a little bit of everything, right? I mean, it was, it was, yeah, he's, he's running the ball, he's handing the ball off, uh, and he's making all of the throws to me that, that if I'm doing a little bit of mental math here and we're all making some presumptions about a rib injury, rib injuries, um, what have you, but something in that area of the body for him to be able to make the passes that he was making, you would think that it couldn't be that serious of an injury, right? Like if you, (laughs) if you have uh, cracked ribs or broken ribs, or I mean, especially broken ribs, uh, those movements that you're showing in this video right now, don't align. That doesn't add up um, necessarily that you would be able to do that um pain-free or that that really the Penn State would put him out there if he was anything less than um you know if there was any doubt as to his ability to do it so no I I don't know I mean uh the I think the comment that I made to you that I will maintain is there was no risk of him him being hit yeah there was no right like that yeah so uh even in a practice sense which I think is, is a fair point right and so and so because of that, if you had, if I had to make a bet as to whether or not what I saw today means that he can play on Saturday, uh, I flatly wouldn't make a bet. I would just, <laughs> I would just abstain. I'm not, yeah. I, I wouldn't go in either direction. Um, I, yeah. you know, I, I think that there are some, there are some elements about the way that he left the game at Iowa, unable to return that make this something of a miraculous recovery if he is able to return for Illinois. If he's able to start for Illinois, that to to me is a, a very impressive and quick turnaround, regardless of what the injury is. Yeah. Just because you yeah, know yeah. that it was serious enough for him to not be able to return in the first place. Um, but bottom line here, I'm not a doctor. 
<laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, so un- until those things, uh, you know, find some crystallization or clarity, then I-, I think, you know, we're all just uh, playing armchair doctor a little bit here. Yeah. And and to to answer your original comment, uh, I'm our intrepid photojournalist g- gathering all of that video for you. So when I'm at practice, I see nothing like I am absolutely because I am not an expert journalist when it comes to gathering video. Uh, so I'm not necessarily paying attention to his throwing motion or any of those things. Watching the video back, you're right. I don't see any impingement in his movement. I don't really see anything about his throwing motion that seems off. Uh, Sean's always had an interesting arm to begin with. Like, I know that it is not in the classical sense of strong, right? But I've never seen him struggle to hit any particular throw due to a lack of velocity. Um, so there are a couple throws where if he doesn't get into it, then maybe it sails a little bit and that happens anyway. So gauging that level is, is I think a little bit silly when we're watching practice and warmups and things like that. Uh, so yeah, I would agree with what you said as far as everything looked right. But when we're watching the individual periods, and this is something James Franklin talked about of when they're talking about uh, who's getting starter reps, when they're actually practicing the plays, uh, Sean Clifford was, uh, what was the situation? What did he say about how they're splitting reps between Clifford, Roberson, and Veyu, who is now in the conversation as well? Yes. Yeah, so he said that it was a third, a third, a third, uh, which suggests a, a flat, even split, right? Um, however, our, our good buddy and colleague, Ryan Snyder, uh, <laughs> good on him for this uh was keeping track and he said that clifford actually did have an edge in the total reps that he took um Mm -hmm. he he counted them so you know i don't know how um, he does it i don't know how he takes all those photos that you're going to see here in a minute and is able to count reps but that's pretty impressive and and has his his finger on the pulse of recruiting yeah he's an incredible person no but i mean is this is the danger that we find every week, um, you know, in these situations is like, how much do you read into these things? How, yep. how much do you actually take away from them? Yeah. And so for me right now, uh, I, I think that if I'm being completely forthcoming and honest, I'm going to say that my presumption last week during the buy and coming out of the Iowa game was that Sean Clifford would not be playing against Illinois at minimum that yeah. he would not be playing against Illinois. Uh, have I changed my opinion for the long term that this does not appear to be a month long injury? Sure. Yeah, I I think that I'm I'm totally on board with that, that this isn't something that's that's going to drag on um, extensively, you know, like. Sometimes these guys have high ankle sprains and it looks like they might be back and they might be okay and they yeah. practice. But they How many times do we see Noah Kane in 2019 practicing with the Penn State offense? And and that is when we're watching, you know, when we got to see those periods, we were seeing some live reps or some actual walkthroughs and he was practicing with the team and then never, yeah. he didn't play in any games. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah, so 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 this this does not appear to be that. But also... Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I, I think that that certainly there were some there was there were reasons for optimism for Penn State 
Yeah. Uh, if you're a Penn State fan and you see the video that you've been putting up and you see the reports coming out of practice on Wednesday, um, certainly I think there are reasons to believe that this is not something that's going to drag into November, yeah. which is critical, right? Like we're <laughs> yeah. we're, we're all talking. We, like <laughs> Illinois obviously matters. Uh, Penn State has to find a way to win this game with or without Sean Clifford. Yeah, Sean Clifford at 100% or not at 100%. But Ohio State's the game that we're all thinking about. And, yeah. And, and I, I think the- I think that's the point, too, that so so my inside source, my uh, inside information, which, by the way, you know, I know I'm doing a terrible ham-fisted job of this, is Nate <laughs> when we talked about this stuff. Uh, we we kind of came to the same conclusion independently, and we also were kind of on the same timeline when it came to these injuries uh, that that we were speculating about, and then we continue to speculate about. I think that is what you just said. There is the point: is that yep. maybe or maybe not. Like it is, it is a miracle's chance that he'll play versus Illinois. I would put that on the outside of the odds, but it firmly puts in the abil- the availability and the ability for Sean Clifford to play against Ohio State. And I think that part is the critical element of what we're talking about with Sean Clifford. Maybe not this week, but and I think most yeah most fans are also okay with him sitting for this game, right? Tom Hannafin on the Pater podcast uh, of the Pater podcast on our post game show after the Iowa game was open openly lobbying to sit everyone, even if they were healthy, like Jaquan Brisker doesn't play against right. Illinois. So it's not like the thought isn't out there, and and. I was not a, I was not on board with that as far as like I don't think that's a realistic strategy that you could go with and and still be you know like you but it seems like that might be what's happening is like Sean Clifford maybe could go but if he's not healthy and he's not going to be cleared to play then right. you have a great reason to not play a guy that could re-injure something against a team that you have a 23 point uh, spread on already uh, uh, look I, I can acknowledge that Illinois has not had a good season. And I can acknowledge that that's a program that has real challenges, right? Like, I mean, yeah. uh, let's be totally upfront about this. However, however, and I feel like I'm in the minority here, that spread has to be with Sean Clifford presumed playing because I saw an offense at Iowa, and granted, again, Iowa's defense and Illinois' defense are two different animals. But Penn State's offense was dysfunctional against Iowa. Right? <laughs> yes. It, it was it was it was not simply that Iowa was dictating the style of play, right? That that Iowa just won all of those one-on-ones and won all of those battles. No, no, no. That was a Penn State offense that could not get the snap off. I could not do it without false starts. So to me, I, I, again, like I get that there is some some inherent advantages for Penn State in this game. Uh, defensively, special teams for sure. Those are things that Penn State can rely on as crutches to stabilize them and help them to get a win. However, you have got to score points to win the game. You yeah. have got to get like somewhere. The good, the good news is at full strength, I think the Illinois offense is still about as functional. 
Like yeah, maybe okay. I, I'm being I'm I'm being a little bit facetious here because they do have a good run game. They do have good running backs, but like as uh, holistically, I was. I was a little like I had to go ooh when I was watching the film of the Illinois offense. It is really, really bad. It tainted my view of the defense is how bad it was. I was just because I just assumed they were going to match that and be as bad, and and they aren't. Some somebody somebody asked in uh, the mailbag that we had on Wednesday about whether or not Penn State's defense was going to sh- shut out another team that's left on the schedule. I asked and, that question too. And, <laughs> And my argument, my argument is that you you need to have yes, it, it can be a great defensive performance uh, that that is true. However, even Indiana, which couldn't do anything offensively, will get the ball into your side of the field occasionally. It right. is exceedingly rare for an offense to not at least once or twice move into field goal range. And this is a long way around of me saying the same thing, which is you better get to seven. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody in this game has to get to seven. Somebody's got to get to seven because uh, Illinois is probably going to get to six. Like there's, there's a pretty good chance of that happening regardless regardless of how bad Illinois offense Please. is or how good Penn State defense is. Please tell people more how entertaining this game is going to be. Please keep I, going about how much they should watch this and then watch the post-game show here on YouTube. Oh, go, boy. Go <laughs> to the library, read a book, go to the beach. Like There, oh. there are so many other things. That will be less aggravating for you on Saturday as a fan than to watch this game. That is that is my first. That's the Nate Bauer pick. That's the Nate Bauer guarantee right there. <laughs> this game is going to be abysmal. It will be so awful to watch that. Every, I mean, give give the tickets away. <laughs> give them to somebody now. While okay. You still have a chance. Here's here here's my new pitch because uh, I hear you. And I want to respond with, if you are going to go to the beach in October, uh, sure. uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a brave soul to begin with. But if you're going to be going for a walk in the woods, seeing the fall foliage, make sure roughly 3.30 to 3.45, you tune into YouTube and you watch the BWI Live postgame show. And totally. I'll tell you all about it. I will condense three and a half hours of uh, hitting your head on a wall into something entertaining from 45 minutes to 55, maybe 60 minutes. So that's going to be the trade-off. I will save you three and a half hours if you watch my show post-game. I will be tuning in. I promise. <laughs> you have to watch it either way. You have to be at the game. <laughs> yeah, th- these are the ones where it's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> this is, No, this is the tax for having indoor seating at Beaver Stadium and, uh, you know, the media food. And, and a career that, you know, I mean, people, it always comes back to this is like, oh, dude, like, how can you possibly complain about watching football? This is the one time. <laughs> this is it. I, I, so it, this is the, the conversation, too, that we've had this week with people want to know more about Christian Veyu. And uh, what do you say? What do you say about this one? We're still learning about Taquan Roberson and some of James Franklin's comments I think this week say more about Taquan than they would about Christian when it comes to the fact that the the gap has narrowed between the two 
is kind of how he phrased it on Tuesday during his uh, weekly press conference, and that you have some questions about why that be for a guy that's been in the program for three years. Uh, You know, with James' comments in general, and then that situation, are you going to see... Which which one do you think we're gonna see? Because my thought is it's gonna be take one. It's gonna yeah. be take one Roberson. But do you think that there is at this point? Is this a motivational tactic or is this a real thing? Um, I think it's a real thing. I just here, look. I I have a separate question that I think demonstrates the point is what did you learn about Sean Clifford in the second half of the twenty twenty season as a quarterback? Uh, the second half of the season in 2020? Yep. Not a lot. Correct. Why? Uh, because the whole situation was, uh, I think, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the word on air, but you you know kind of where I'm going with that. Uh, it was Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. How about that? What, what, what did they want to do offensively? What was the point for Sean Clifford as the quarterback in the second half of 2020? Right. It, we're going to run the ball. Don't turn the ball over. Screen game. Give it to Jahan Dotson on the perimeter. Yes. Yeah. I, so, I get what you're saying now. And so for and so for me, it's it's almost like not that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is if it's not Sean Clifford. It it does matter who the quarterback is. But I think the way that James Franklin phrased it Wednesday night was. Trying, you know, talking about the changes in the offense and how it will look different. And I mean, he almost gasped laughing. Like, yeah, of course we want Sean Clifford to be available. Like it it dynamically changes the offense because what they're talking about, and this is in real terms, are finding the 10 plays that Christian Veyu is comfortable running. Yeah. Right, like these are the five red zone plays that Taquan Roberson is comfortable running, yep. and trying to narrow those down and get into a place where, as a, as a play caller for Mike Yersich, that you don't feel this abject sense of dread that <laughs> you're asking your quarterback to do more than he's capable of doing. So this is, I, I think, this is a really important point that people don't really want to give credence to. Everything you just said and everything that James Franklin talked about last night of finding the plays that Taquan Roberson is comfortable with, you kind of think those might be different than the ones that Sean Clifford is comfortable with. And that is really, I think, when you want to go back and review the the post-mortem on what was going on, and this is what I said in real time after the game and then in my film analysis, is the the ones that you're going to be comfortable with with Sean Clifford are fifth-year senior graduate level on his way to the next level sort of plays like from a mental standpoint take one roberson should be more advanced than he was he should be able to complete passes in underneath zone coverage because it's not i mean if he hasn't picked that part up then okay that's 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 the conversation we're having this week but he was not going to be finding the hole in cover three down the field in stride with a receiver he hasn't thrown the ball to in two weeks because he's not the starter. You're not going to be able to diagnose an inverted cover two and then all of a sudden be able to check it down to the swing pass. And the you know, You're not going to get to those things, but right. you should be able to get to some of them. And you should have some of those things that you're able to do. And I think that's been the goal over the last week and a half is to craft that game plan 
for Taekwon. And I would say hope to God that a good number of those plays cross over with what Christian Veyu is comfortable with at this point, which, as you just pointed out, is probably even more limited. Yeah, I, I, I there's one thing that, because I hear it, I, I get the, the Roberson critiques and what the expectations are, but there is a missing piece of this equation in that Taekwon Roberson and for most of Penn State's developmental players last year, first of all, he was the third string quarterback. Okay, so the top two played. The third one doesn't exist as far as that's concerned. In football, third string quarterback doesn't matter most yeah. of the time. It's not getting any reps. Uh, and then beyond that, it was just a developmental year wash for most of those guys. So is he was hurt a little bit last year. James Franklin said that in one of his press conferences towards the end of the season. So, you know, you know, I, I mean, I just, I struggle being too hard on him based on, you know, uh, basically just what happened at Iowa. I, like, I don't think that that's a fair or accurate representation necessarily of where he is developmentally. Um, but certainly, you know, <laughs> If he plays on Saturday, the expectations and the hopes for Penn State fans and from the media and for himself, I'm sure, and his teammates are that he will be able to put together a better performance, um, you know, in more advantageous circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's more than fair. Um, you didn't say anything about my haircut, Nate. Got a haircut. You didn't say anything. Beautiful. It's, it's I, you it? know, it's nice. My my wife my wife claims that uh, I'm not perceptive, so you're just added to the list, buddy. I have uh, I I get the cool I I think I get the cool guy fade, you know. So I got the beard and then the fade up to the hair. Now it'd be cooler if I didn't have like I have very curly hair, so it doesn't really always work out. Uh, but my the, go ahead. I mean, look at this. Look at this. <laughs> High price. High priority for Nate Bauer, right? This is a this is a total disaster. It's it's almost like March 2020, and I'm gonna have to get the clippers out and just shave it myself. So this is this is a this is exactly what I'm talking about, Nate. Is that like care about your grooming? Care about men's grooming. I don't know. So at, so I, my wife cuts my hair, and I think she does an awesome job. I got her a, a salon quality pair of clippers and then scissors. So when she cuts my hair and when she, believe it or not, sometimes I, I have to have like two or three glasses of wine and then I'll cut her hair because it's terrifying. You ever try to cut a woman's hair? It is a terrifying experience. Uh, but uh, it can be a little bit like a little, a little fun outside of the terror. But my point is we're using professional equipment. Sure. Yeah. Um, you ever try to use that professional equipment on your balls? Not a great plan. Just just not a great plan. You should have the proper tool for any situation. That's what my grandfather always taught me growing up on the farm and other folksy things to say. Have the proper tool and men, Manscaped is the proper tool for your down under. I now have the proper tool after years of not... I've, I've gone through all kinds of grooming uh, equipment to use and i finally got to use the lawnmower 4.0 for from manscaped uh and you see the promo code below 20 blue white 
They are a sponsor here of the show support for the BWI Daily Edition from Manscaped. Uh, I'm one of the first people to try the 4.0. I'm blown away by the performance. Craftsmanship and detail are next level. It was so nice that it had the travel lock. And I was like, oh, no, I already broke this thing. And no, it was just on travel lock. You actually have to like read the instructions how to use it. It has an LED light so you can see where you're going. So you know, when you're doing one of these moves, you can see what's going on. It's perfect. Uh, new multifunction on-off switch can engage the travel lock, which I mentioned, and create uh, uh, for people who like to travel, like Nate, so it doesn't turn on in your bag in the airport. Uh, all kinds of great stuff. And did I mention, this is the coolest thing. I've never had a wireless charging anything. It charges without... So you can... There's no plug in it. You can you can use it in the rain. It could be a, it could be a snowstorm. Bad idea. But you can you can use it anywhere. It's waterproof because it's wireless charging, and it's super dope. It looks really cool. It feels cool in your hand. It's nice to use. So get 20% off free shipping with the code uh, 20 blue white. You see that at the bottom of the screen if you're listening on the podcast. 20 blue white at manscaped.com. That's code 20 blue white at manscaped.com. And of course, one second. Get 20% off free shipping, and I'll give you the code one more time, 20BlueWhite, Manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at Manscaped.com. 20BlueWhite is the code. Unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. You didn't tell me that this should be filled with vodka. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I nailed that. That was awesome. Crushed (laughs) That was better than my last one, which we we did. You 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 mowed right through it. It's wonderful. <laughs> I so th- should I just like th- just because we're gonna be doing this again. Um, do you have anything you'd like to add? <laughs> no, I told you my mom <laughs> listens to this. Well, does she does she need Manscaped? Use the promo code no. twenty blue white, uh, Mrs. Bauer. Twenty Terrible. blue white. Move on. Awful. <laughs> Uh, so uh, other situations that are interesting coming out of Wednesday's practice, the running back situation as a whole, I think good and bad for Penn State is always fascinating and one that we are constantly asking and talking about and uh, getting questions about from uh, people over at Blue White Illustrated. So what was your takeaway from Wednesday night? What did you see from the running backs? I saw two prominent running backs not there. That's what I saw. Um, Obviously, John Lovett transfer from Baylor was uh, he left the game early, I think, against Iowa and did not return. And Devin Ford, who started the game at Iowa, did not return. And uh, neither of those guys, at least to my eye, were in attendance uh, at practice on Wednesday. So, you know, certainly that changes the dynamic, I think, a little bit of you know what that position looks like it's 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 always tricky because we talked before the season about how five is too many right? like, <laughs> yeah and so and so then you get into it and you lose two in one game and what does that mean for them moving forward so you, you know and and again like what does it mean for them moving forward at a position where no one had really asserted themselves into taking the job over completely so 
I'm not sure. Noah Kane was the guy who was getting the first snaps and uh, Kevon Lee obviously was, was right behind him, but without Ford and love it, um, you know, it, it becomes a little more tricky for them in terms of, I mean, I think there's a counter argument to what I'm saying in that if you don't have those other guys to put in the game, maybe the first two find a rhythm, find, they work find it out a little bit, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe you get a few more reps. Uh, I, I think that we're anticipating a dumbed down is not necessarily the way that I want to put it, but a simplified focused streamlined, focused, a streamlined offensive approach. And yeah. so if that's the case in this game and you're playing field position and you just look, they want to win this game. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> get out, get out of here alive and move on to the next. Yeah. So if, if that's the case, you know, maybe it, maybe it gives those guys an opportunity a little bit, especially because even if, even if Sean Clifford plays, uh, I don't know what your expectation would be, but mine would be that, that his running would be limited. Um, you know, that he would not. Yeah. Right, so, like, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit of two minds there. Obviously you're going to be cautious of that, but if you're Mike Yersich, I totally. don't, I don't believe that you're going into the game and you want to have any reservations about that. Like, ah, uh, it's third and one, or we can hit him if we get this, yep. but I can't use that play. I just, I think if he can't do those things, then he doesn't play. I guess that's kind of where I would lean to yep. either he's all in or he's all out. And it would have to be a really big game for him to not see that. And even, even what we saw, uh, 2019, where he came into the game after the the Minnesota game where he was injured, went into the Ohio State game not 100%, and re-injured something because when he, play, when he plays, he plays. And I don't think you can stop Sean Clifford from scrambling or running or making those plays in the moment. He's been trained that way for a reason. So it would be very hard, and it would take a very mature player to be able to do that. So I kind of think if he plays, he plays, like 100%. He is a mature player, though. But still, no, I agree. I agree with the sentiment. That's that's why. Yeah. I mean, I just, I just can't see it. I just, I, it's just very hard for me to believe. For me to put the pieces together and say this guy is worth playing if he's not a hundred percent. But obviously, I mean, we'll 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 see. We'll see on Saturday afternoon where he's at, um, and then. You know, they'll go from there. But as it pertains to the running backs, though, you know, look, they got to they're, they're still trying to find their way offensively and try to try to get into uh, something resembling uh, cohesiveness. Right. I mean, because that's that's really what it is. And, and you've been talking about it all season that it's not like there's this one major deficiency. Right. That, yeah. that the offensive line just stinks or that the running backs just stink. Right. It, it's yeah. It's just putting it all together at the same time. Uh, it it kind of thinks, watches, but they just it's just not unified right now in, in a certain way. And, and this is going to be coming off as maybe um, I don't even believe the way I'm phrasing this, but like a hard reboot on the offense. If you're saying we're to simplify things when I was dur during the bye week and watching things and kind of looking at, you know, the 30,000 foot picture and some of the data, um, I think a simplified running game might help where yep. they, they inside outside zone and then they 
do a lot of uh, power, counter, and man. So they do they they do everything on the offensive side when it comes to run blocking. It's a diverse run blocking system, and I think that is part of. If I were to say if the the that is the part that James Franklin he he said before the season we don't want to lose the things we're good at so you know the the man blocking is going to stay and then the inside outside zone that Mike Yersich brings in that's going to fold into it if you just eliminate one or the other and at this point I don't really care if you eliminate one bucket you might be able to become good at the other ones and then you can add that stuff in as you go I did I. I can't remember what I've talked about, what I haven't talked about with you, but did I bring up my interview with Yersich before the season in June when we I talked about him, it? Yeah. Like j- just that, that it's a, he was laying the groundwork that it's not going to happen right away based on NCAA rules. I mean, he was, he was more or less saying, Hey, look, you, it, it is impossible to simulate a defensive look for the run game. Yeah. And so you have to get it like, but passing you can pass on, you can pass on air obviously. And, and all of the seven on seven stuff that they do through the course of the summer, those are invaluable reps. I mean, they can get the passing game cohesive and to a point where it looks, it looks like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, the running game is, is something that he was acknowledging takes time to get to that point. And you know, I think that's what you've seen, but the question is, what was he actually saying in terms of how much time it takes? Was he saying, all right, by week three, you know, mm-hmm. you've been through it enough times that you expect to be in a position to to put it together? Because honestly, they did put it together against Ball State. They ran for 240 yards. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. I mean, there have been there have been moments and opportunities. And certainly, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head. I think it's 87. Illinois is not good defending the run. Like they, yeah, yeah, um, they're, <laughs> they're not good. 100- so, this is this is, and I, I don't mean to cut you off, but this is something that that I've talked a little bit about uh, yesterday when I had on uh, Scott Ritchie from Illinois. Brett Bielema's comments to me kind of struck the wrong, like it, it, so looking at what they do defensively. And he said, we don't have the guys up front to run what we want to run and go where we want to go. So this is the system that these are the players he inherited from Lovey Smith is it was a four down front. The Tampa two system is relying on quickness and penetration upfield. And maybe you've got one guy that's a bigger physical body, but everyone else is kind of a pass rusher. That's kind of the system. That's what he inherited. So they're running what uh, ball state and Villanova ran, and to a degree, some of what Wisconsin does, where they fold in what's called a tight front, where everyone's lined up inside the tackles. You don't have the personnel, then don't run it. That's on you, the coach, to make that decision. You get to make those decisions. So the players are are playing, their nose tackle gets pushed off the ball on every single play because he's not a nose tackle. And And to then throw the players under the bus, and I know what he was trying to say about trying to find the right players for the right system. Like, this isn't the NFL. I, I That kind of bothered me of, well, we don't have the right players. You remember when James Franklin came to Penn State, and, and this is just the only uh, up-close uh, experience I have with it, is when James Franklin came to Penn State, and he wanted to run a particular offense with a certain quarterback, and that guy couldn't run that offense, so they didn't run it. 
Yeah. You have uh, you have you have decisions you can make. You have options not to run a system or a scheme. And and yeah, they're not they're not great at stopping the run because they're putting their players in bad situations. And to me that that smacks of uh, your system is not the end all be all. Alabama can run any system because they got good players. Yes. Any system can work. So find the system that fits your players. I, th- I, th- I think that there's an argument to be made, though, that you're considering the first, like, this is something that I've learned through the years. No matter what spin they put on it, every coach considers the first year something of a wash because you're just you're just trying to create a culture. You're just right. trying to get these foundational elements. And so teaching new things to and in a completely different system to older players is difficult and something that's not going to work in the first place, but that's not the point. The point is to get the younger guys bought in. And- sure, but you also are making those decisions Based on so coaching and and this Brent Price said this before is like our job is to accentuate their strengths and and hide their weaknesses. And I don't think based on what they're doing and they've tweaked some things. So they have tweaked some things in their system. And I should this probably come off a little bit too harsh uh, of my criticism of Brett Bielema because that's how this stuff works. But if you're running that particular system that they're trying to run with those players, you're putting them in a position to fail and then you blame them for failing. That's the part I have a I have a problem with is like, okay, it's not working and you can you can acknowledge it's not working and we're working through it. But to then just say we don't have the guys to to go where we want to go, I, I mean I get that you're saying that and I get why you're you're establishing the baseline and all that stuff, but I just didn't like the way he that came off. I thought that part was that that was not leadership to me. I get it. I get it. I, you know, the guy, uh, he's got a lot of fans and detractors through the, right? Like this guy has a yeah. reputation uh, himself. So, um, no, I mean, look, it's, it is, it's no fun. It is no fun. Uh, those first, that first year, those first couple of years. And yeah. James Franklin would be the first one to tell you that, right? 2014 and 15 were not fun years for Penn State football. Um, and and so that's what I mean, that's what's going to be so interesting to me with this with with Bielema is where does Illinois go in year three, year four? Sure. Because sure. that's that's the realistic timeline of when the changes that you're trying to implement actually start to come to fruition. Yeah. And one of the things that they are good at, and he's been classically good at at, at making a team uh, be able to function in this area, is the running game. Without P.J. Musfer, first game, uh, I guess they played a full game without him, but like knowing not having him going into this game. Yeah. What are you looking at from that position? And then your question about P.J.'s availability going forward next year. I thought that was interesting of, does that open the door for him to come back for a fifth year? What What are your thoughts on that? And where did you arrive at the end of that conversation with James? Yeah, I mean, certainly I think that, that I mean, look, like, uh, and you've said this, Mustafa was integral to what Penn State was doing, it, right? I mean, and that's that's a that's been a feature of a lot of 
James Franklin and Brent Pry's defenses is to have a really, really strong component there. Uh, I'm going to call it nose tackle. You call it two eye, right? Um, yeah, their version of it. Yeah, you you, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> the primary run stuffer is essentially correct. what it is. Yeah. And so to, to, to have that piece, that's what everything flows from for this Penn State defense is to stop the run first and to have that that strength right there in the middle of the defense. So to not have him, um, I, I can't remember. I think you're the one who actually said it uh, on the podcast the other day that the benefit for Penn State is that P.J. Mustafer's backup is a starter. Yeah. Uh, Derek Tangelo is going to start is going to shift and play PJ Mustafer's position. So, um, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think it's the end of the world by any means, but certainly that's something that Penn state's going to have to adjust to. And, you know, I, I think the, one of the things that James Franklin said on Tuesday is you just, you need to get percentages more from the guys who are already contributing. Yeah. Right. It's not, yeah. you're not going to be able to put in one guy and expect to be able to duplicate that. You just need to take the the veteran leaders that you have, the Jesse Lucetta's, the Ellis Brooks, uh, who's playing out of his mind, by yeah. the way. Um, you know, the Jaquan Briskers, like get all of those guys chipping in just a little bit more and you, you, you know, you'll find a way through it. Um, but no, what I, what I asked James Franklin on Tuesday was, you know, whether or not roster management issues like PJ Mustafer come up, like whether or not they get attention during the season from the coaching staff, because here's the bottom line is it doesn't really change what you do from a recruiting perspective necessarily. But if PJ Mustafer, if the door is open for him to come back for a fifth year, which James Franklin made very plain that it is yeah. right. Like if he's, re if he's recovering from this injury for, you know, I don't know, let's ballpark. If it's an ACL nine months, yep. 12 months, right. Yep. But certainly nine months yep. until you get back into that, that ballpark of being at full strength. If that's the case, then is the NFL this next year when you've lost a spring OTA, when yep. you've lost a preseason camp, right? And yeah. things are things are less secure. Does that make sense for him? Um, and does that make sense, you know, for Penn State, right? Like what is what does Penn State want? from that. And I think, I think that I can tell you the answer and the answer is to get PJ Mustafer back for uh, another season. I mean, I yeah. think that Penn state obviously would love it. Um, but, but again, like that's a situation that Penn state was not anticipating having, yeah. right. You don't anticipate, um, you know, a guy of, of Mustafer's character and quality and all the things that he brings to the field being back for uh, another year or getting hurt but the door is open because of the ncaa bonus year that that all of those guys uh, who participated last season right they, they yeah. get an extra year of eligibility if they want to take it and, and i don't I, think that, i think there's sorry. the important part of the the important point about that is that it would be within the realms of a normal timeline at a university so it's not like he's gonna be coming back for a sixth or a seventh year it'd be a fifth year now it's right. five full years it's not like yep. he uh, got a red shirt at any point but this would be kind of this would sort of be that year where i know he played in 5.0 
won games, but right. he he was a part of the team for a year and then lost that year to an injury. He was playing himself into a draftable position the way he was performing. And I think that's the biggest thing is would the NFL care? And, and, and that seems callous, but it's true of like PJ Musfer was not a first round pick. He was not a priority player in the next draft, but he's a very good player that will play and should have a spot in the NFL. So then it becomes about getting the reps on tape and all that stuff and making sure that you finish strong and all the imperceptible, stupid things that come with the draft process. So balancing that and then if you're going to recover at Penn State uh, and then you play next year, are you going to put worse tape on film uh, for evaluators then when you're coming off an ACL? Because we all know you're not even really healthy to begin with, like when you first get back out on the field. So I felt really bad for him for that particular reason is it makes that road ahead so difficult and fraught with a lot of unknowns as far as his future of a guy that was on the path to it. And just yeah. needed to keep doing what he was doing, and he was going to get there. And now, I still think he's an NFL player, but you know, when there's 700 guys every year, you know, you're you become a statistic at a certain point, and that that part stinks for a good football yeah, no, player I mean, with BJ. The the thing that the thing that he has going for him though is are all of the other things. Yeah, right. Like I mean, he checks every single box of a guy that you want in your locker room. And so he will be attractive to somebody at some point. It's just a question of the timeline. That's yep. the, the biggest thing is, is what's the timeline for him now? And so, yeah, I mean, the, the, this is not, this is not like uh, revelatory, but uh, yeah, he's going to have some decisions to make that he didn't have to make previously. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was okay. When this season ends, that's when you start preparing and go to the NFL. Now it's, what do you want to do? Do you, do you want to come back or is that still a path where, you know, you, you train and you take your chances on the draft and go from there? Yeah. Um, you know, that's 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 going to be for him and his family to decide. I always keep you longer than I mean to. And I, I, I said this yesterday. It's or two days ago. It's the eight hour power hour. Uh, and it always ends up being closer to an hour than I mean to. Uh, but we just get to talking, and I, 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 I don't have to take commercial breaks anymore uh, that I did before. So now we have we had one commercial break, and then we we go and we just talk. So Nate, thanks for coming on the show today. Anything else before we wrap up that you want that you want to mention? Uh no. I mean, I think I want to walk back how horrible the game's going to be. Just <laughs> it'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be they'll be wearing the generations of greatness uh, uniforms, which I do think are dope. I think those are really cool looking. I normally don't care about uniforms unless they're very bad or they are very cool. And I do think these ones are cool. Yeah, they're great. No, look like I'm a little older, a little more mature. I got some kids now. And so the noon start Illinois game is, is a little less cobwebby. Than it used to be a little, a little less groggy. <laughs> It'll be sharper one. for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be on my A game. I hope you're on your A game. Oh, you know and, it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll chat it up later. Well, I look forward to your reporting coming live from Beaver Stadium. Of course, we'll have the BWO Live post game show. Tom Hannafin is on assignment. So I'll be there with you holding down the fort after the game. And of course, can't overlook it. Tomorrow, Ryan Snyder joins the show to end the week on the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We'll talk to you then.